podcasting from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, known as the City of Bridges. This is Knights of the Revolutionary Leader, conversations of influence and change. I am your host, Christy Knights, C-suite executive coach, expert witness, psychotherapist, professional speaker, and best-selling author, the revolutionary leader in business and life. Hello, and welcome to Knights of the Revolutionary Leader podcast. This is the show for those with broken dreams, yet still finding a world of beauty. And on this episode, have you ever struggled with being confined to one career path or perhaps limited in options? Well, that's exactly what we are going to help you with on this week's show, where you will learn to build resiliency and have clarity and options in your life, whether it's your career path or in any other area you may struggle in. Let me introduce this week's Knight of Nobility, Courage, Authenticity, and Revolutionary Leader, Greg Anderson. Greg Anderson is an author, photographer, artist, and world traveler. Greg has enjoyed an eclectic career that has included radio disc jockey, stand-up comedian, film studio executive, publishing executive, college program chair, and freelance educator, producer, writing coach, and tour operator. Working from or triumphing over a lifelong wanderlust and infatigable curiosity, Greg prioritizes growth as an artist and as a person, steadfast fast in his faith that with all its sham, drudgery, and broken dreams, it is still a beautiful world. Welcome, Greg. It is great to have you. Thank you, Christy. It's great to uh, have a chance to have a nice conversation with you. Great. Well, I'll tell you what, that biography was a little challenging. That one <laughs> uh, I had to look that up, indefatigable. <laughs> I, I think it's indefatigable, but yes. Indefatigable. Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> Challenges. So, Greg, what a pleasure. And I love that you have such an eclectic background. It's what drew me to you. Can you share with us, you know, share with the audience a little bit about yourself in terms of where you grew up, what it was like growing up within your family? Let's get started. Growing up, um, I grew up in several places. My father worked in the electronics industry during the space age, so we moved around. I think at one point I was in four different schools in four different years between, I don't know, fourth grade and seventh grade, something like third grade and sixth grade. So, uh, you know, from an early age, uh, meeting new people or, or finding myself in uh, a new environment or whatever, that kind of got bred into me fairly early and uh, adapting to that and finding comfort with it. And then from sixth grade on, um, we were in uh, Northern Kentucky, really right across the Ohio River from Cincinnati. And that was junior high and high school. And then uh, undergraduate school was a little tiny private college in central Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I did uh, a couple of graduate degrees at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. And then my last graduate degree was at University of Southern California in Los Angeles. So um, lived in lots of different places and and not just, you know, different addresses, but, you know, very different parts of the country. Uh, Went out to California. I had finally worked through enough of... uh, of my academic uh, curiosities to figure out what felt the most at home to me, most organic to me, and that was that was film. So I went out to USC and and um, uh, got a, a master's degree in cinema from USC. And literally the week I. 
graduated, uh, I was hired at Warner Brothers and, and was at Warner's for about three years and, and uh, then was at Universal for about nine years. So, um, And then trans that kind of uh, mutated or transformed into the publishing industry. I had a novel published and mm. uh, I did a book tour and then ultimately became an acquisitions uh, executive for, for a publisher. Um, that led into uh, teaching at the college level and, and, and being a program chair, teaching cinema and graphic design and, and several other courses. And, um, and then at that point, also working in freelance writing and um, uh, some directing and, and uh, uh, still having the, the creative pursuits that I've discovered over the years. I, I kind of need to feel nourished and fed and taken care of. So uh, it, it has been eclectic and, and it never set out to be it, every time I thought I was, you know, moving forward in a straight line, it was probably more diagonal or jagged. Um, but uh, I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't trade any of the experiences for having the path been more uh, uh, streamlined. Uh, it's, it's been a blast and I've, I've come away with, um, assets and and memories and uh resources from every position i've had even the ones that you know i wasn't necessarily uh as comfortable in with regard to the nature of the work so no complaints um and it's been uh, <laughs> it, it's it's felt like a great event adventure which is what i would hope for yeah, that is incredible. So share with me, you had mentioned earlier that, you know, as young as fourth, fifth grade, all of the moves, you began to feel, find comfort in it is the word you used. Can you expand upon that a little bit? What did you mean by that? Yeah, I remember um, we had been living in Florida and we'd been there since I was 18 months old or something like that. So all I knew was Florida. And then my, my dad got a job in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and we were going to move to Michigan. And, you know, obviously Florida, I'd never seen snow. I'd never really seen winter. I know all these things that were going to be in abundance in Michigan. Um, and it felt very, you know, that was the first move and it felt very daunting. And, and you know, at, at eight years old or whatever I was, I, there was no frame of reference to what this complete change of environment was going to be like. And we got to Ann Arbor, and I absolutely loved it. I discovered uh, a love of hockey and, and playing hockey and, and college football games because that's clearly a college town. There was all these things that I hadn't been exposed to that I just fell in love with, and, and I really don't recall any negatives of adapting to Ann Arbor. And we, we were there for a year, and then we were off to St. Louis, and yeah, that was a whole different you know environment and atmosphere, but mm -hmm. again, no, no earth-shattering negatives. St. Louis for a year, and then that's when we moved to, to Northern Kentucky. And and even though all of those are kind of in the general center of the country, there's there's a lot of differences. And I'm an I'm an only child, so um, uh, no, you know all the things that come with that, and all the things that don't. So certainly at home, um, there were no other kids, and all the social challenges of of a lot of only children, um, but. Those moves demystified um, ad adapting and encountering strangers. And, uh, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have wanted to do it in high school because the high school terrain is somewhat less forgiving than, than elementary school. But, uh, you know, the years I did it in, um, I don't ever remember 
I don't have a palatable sense of ever feeling like the new kid or, or being ostracized or anything else. It really ended up um, kind of dovetailing with what I think was a lot of my nature in the, in, in the first place. Uh, my grandmother uh, had huge wanderlust and, and traveled extensively till she was almost 90. And, and my mother uh, inherited that from her. And my mother traveled uh, at any chance she could, she would go. Um, and I'm, I'm the same way myself. And I think part of that was I sort of uh, worked through any fear there might have been of being in a foreign location by at somewhat formative years, um, being in a different, different place four years in a row. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, and I didn't, you know, I was a kid, I didn't know it was acquiring tools at the time, but now I can look back and see, um, all of the things that the kind of soft skills that kind of came with, uh, uh, moving around the way we did. Yes, yes. And I was going to say, oftentimes, multiple moves are associated with, you know, negative or negativity. But I hear such positivity as a result, you know, and the implications of moving for you actually are are very positive, would you say? Oh, completely. And, and you know, I've, I've been fortunate to have um, uh, career positions that involved a lot of travel. And, and I you know, I, I was telling somebody the other day, I, whether I'm right or I'm wrong, I, I have a feeling, I have a sense that, you know, if you could drop me into any city in the world and, and if I had $50 in local currency and a, and a metro map, I'm probably going to be okay and be able to make my way. And to, I've, I've never really equated that to, I guess, what you'd call a confidence. But as I've come to think about it more recently, because I've been doing a lot of traveling, it's kind of a wonderful confidence and to not be intimidated by it's not your native language or, or by they do things differently here or whatever it might be. Um, there's a lot of comfort in that. And, and I think it all started back with all those moves when I was a kid and, and uh, you know, I love airports. I love train terminals. I, I love all the aspects of encountering cultures and cuisines and people and, and all of the uh, kind of the, the beautiful things that, you discover the ways that you're different from other people, but that ends up putting a spotlight on how you're all the same. And, and that's another thing that I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Yeah, absolutely. So can you share with me some of the challenges that you've encountered through, through the years as you became successful? <laughs> In undergraduate school, um, you know, I had, I had parents that were, you know, wonderfully attentive and, and, but they were given to worry the way a lot of parents are. And, and I had, and still have probably more of a creative, uh, kind of right brain nature than, than not, but I had, I had skill sets, uh, in, in numbers and math and all those kind of things. So, you know, undergraduate school, it was a private school and it was, I guess it was relatively expensive and, and, uh, my parents were, were, uh, generous enough to to pay the cash part of my schooling, and and I had earned about half the tuition with scholarships. So, um, I I literally intentionally um, I was a double major, and I got one major for myself and one major for my parents, so they wouldn't worry. So uh, I have a bachelor's degree in theater, but I also have a bachelor's degree in accounting, um, which is a very you know kind of weird. 
<laughs> right yeah. by the screen. Uh-huh. Yeah. And whenever I, you know, whenever I'm doing public speaking or, or tell, speaking to students or whatever, and I tell that part of my background, I always just pause because I know there's going to be laughter and, and questions and everything else. Um, and, you know, the great thing about accounting was, you know, I never had to starve. I never had to live off popcorn for a week or, or all those things that a lot of creative people have to do. Right. And um, the good news was I could get a job whenever I wanted. But, um, you know, every day I did accounting or finance work, it, it was really, uh, this is, you know, hyperbolic, but I, it, it really was kind of soul sucking and, and depleting. And, um, uh, and, but unfortunately I was good at it and I kept getting promoted. And, and once I got into the studios, um, while my aspirations were more creative, um, I kept getting promoted on the business side and, um, you know, they throw promotions at you and they compliment you and all those things. It's tough to, to say no to that. And at, at some point, uh, about the time that I wrote the novel, you know, I realized I was very far down a path that I didn't want to, I did not want to have gone down and I had ended up very far down it. So um, when the novel was published, I, you know, I left the studios and, and thanked them for some amazing years and working with some amazing people and projects. But um, it sounds ridiculous to, to have it even sound like a complaint. And I don't even necessarily mean it as a complaint. But, but a challenge, as, as, as you phrased it in your question, uh, it, it is a challenge to be good at something you don't particularly enjoy. Yes. Yes. Talk to us about that. <laughs> and, and like I said, you know, you you they love your work and they're complimenting you. And and you know, when they like you at the studios, they take very good care of you. And it, it's it's all very um, plush with creature comforts. And and uh, uh, it's easy, or at least it was for me. It was easy to miss the fact that um, I was on the wrong path. I wouldn't trade any of those days at the studio. I, it, it's wonderful. It was wonderful to know the business side of, of the film and television industries. And certainly part of my uh, success and, and uh, moving through the ranks uh, was aided by, you know, I, I half joked saying, you know, I was bilingual, meaning <laughs> I could talk to the business side about the needs of the creative folks and do it in a way that didn't threaten the business folks. And I could also talk to the creative side about what the, the business uh, uh, elements and concerns were without them feeling like they were having their creativity diminished. So to be able to speak both of those languages and understand that they did not have to be inherently adversarial, um, that, that served me well, but it also made me neither fish nor fowl to the studio. Um, so, you know, I, I think we live in a world, or we certainly did at that point, where it's, it's just easier for people you work with. It's just easier for society if they can put a label on you and dovetail you and you're one thing or another, and then they don't have to do the heavy lifting of figuring out how accounting and theater exist in the same yes. uh, per, per, uh, personage. So on the one hand, it served me well, but it also made me kind of this... Um, uh, square peg round hole kind of thing. So, um, so that was a challenge and it was a challenge to a come to the realization I needed to get back to what fed me in a intrinsic internal way, as opposed to a creature comfort way. 
uh, a challenge to figure that out and then a challenge to make it happen. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's a nice problem to have, to have, uh, curiosities and aptitude in more than one area, but, uh, you're always kind of wondering, uh, the path not taken, that kind of thing. So, um, uh, so that's, that was a challenge, but about, uh, whatever it was, uh, 15, 20 years ago, uh, I figured that out and, and have, have never really kind of looked back with regard to, uh, uh, missing the, the work that I did at the studio or wishing I was still in that part of the business or whatever else. So, uh, better late than never. Uh, Cause I know a lot of people that never figure out that they're, they might've chosen the wrong path, but, um, uh, would have been would have been fun to have learned it sooner, but that's kind of being greedy. So, um, it was uh, it was a challenge. It was a challenge to do a job well that that you didn't necessarily find fulfillment in. Sure, and I think we see this time and again, where people do not know what path they need to be on, where they feel their passion, or how to discover. You know, I often refer to that as your identity or autonomy. Um, having that dissonance, that conflict internally, is really common um, for people in terms of, of discovering their paths. And you mentioned that as a challenge. Can you talk to us? How did that challenge affect you emotionally? I think, um, again, this is, this was all, has all been kind of realized after the fact, because when you're in the middle of it, you don't really, you know, until you have that moment of, wow, I've, I've really moved a long way from where I was supposed to be going. Um, I, you know, I think the, the, the metaphor that comes to mind first is it's, it's like a rock in your shoe. You're never fully comfortable. You don't know why, though, um, until you have that epiphany. Um, it's like a rock in your shoe that is there all the time. Every step you take, something is just not the way it should be. There's there's a lack of organic connection with, uh, in this case, your work life. You know, it, it it's very much like being in a, a bad personal relationship or a, a, a personal relationship that is not nourishing you or feeding you. It's it's not necessarily uh, you know, volatile or abusive or anything else, but it's just not, there's not an organic connection between the two people. And it, it was very similar to that only on a career side, um, go in, do the work. And certainly, you know, I cared about the projects and, 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 uh, uh, I did feel like I was making a contribution on the, um, on the business side. And, and certainly I was given increasing levels of, of responsibility and, and areas to, to have as my own, but, um, there was not a sense of, you know, it's kind of a, ro a romantic notion, but you know, there is this, this sense of doing the thing that you were put here to do. Absolutely. And when you're not doing the thing that you were put here to do, that you believe in your heart of hearts, you were put here to do. Um, there's a, there's a, you're out of step with yourself. There's a discomfort there that you can't quite put your finger on at the time, but it ends up becoming um, an impediment to enjoying anything else in life. You know, I'm sure it had a negative impact on relationships. I'm sure it had a negative impact on you know, things I would have hoped to have enjoyed during the, you know, non-working hours, the quiet times or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that all of that was 
depleted by the fact that um, I wasn't I wasn't where I was supposed to be or doing what I was supposed to be doing. So um, I, I know that now um, I would say since since I had the kind of realization, I'd say my friendships are deeper. I'd say my relationships are deeper. I'd say my level of enjoying you know, the old, uh, stop and smell the roses kind of thing that the ability to savor, um, uh, things that you enjoy or give you pleasure, um, is markedly greater now that, uh, I'm, I'm more in tune with how I'm built and, and what I'm kind of equipped to, to, to do best and, and, and find, um, purpose and value in the contribution that it feels like, is the contribution I'm supposed to be making. So, um, I, at that time, did you struggle with anything like anxiety or depression, um, or confusion at those, at those times you were trying to figure that out? Cause I think that's, what's relatable is whenever we can talk about the emotions of that struggle and then move into how you worked through it to give people that sense of hope and purpose and some tips to get through it themselves. So at that time, did you struggle with any of, of emotional stressors, like anxiety, depression? Um, I, I, I never had them. I never had them diagnosed. I would suspect there were uh, moments or, or spells of what would probably qualify as depression. I, you know, I, there were, there was a couple of, um, when I was very young, when I was three years old, there was a couple of, um, family things that happened that left me, it wasn't diagnosed until much later, obviously, but I, I had always battled with um, a fairly palatable separation anxiety. And um, yes. at the same time that I was at the, the same point in my life, when I was at the studios, I hadn't untangled the mess of the separation anxiety and um, was I, because of that uh, issue. Um, I was, I had always struggled with, with uh, sort of unbridled panic, um, uh, unfocused kind of anxiety and panic um, could be triggered when I never knew what the specific tr trigger was when it happened. I just knew that suddenly uh, I was caught up in this uh, just run amuck kind of sense of being abandoned or or the the stressors and anxiety that come with it. So all of that to have that sort of in parallel with not being connected to what I was doing on a, a emotional, spiritual, intrinsic kind of level. Um, I think looking back, I think they kind of fed off of each other, and and I you know certainly a lot of things and people that I saw as threats or enemies or with ill intent, mm. I can look back now and say, well, that was probably more the way I was seeing it than what was actually going on with them. Um, so um, that, that had been a lifelong struggle on both the personal side and, you know, there's no way that it wouldn't have also been an issue on the professional side. So, um, and, and, you know, I, I, I worked through a lot of that right around the same time that I was leaving the studios to, to focus on more creative pursuits. And, you know, for a long time, I thought quite possibly that was just a coincidence of timing. But now I, you know, I think, no, there was probably 
that I that I worked through one probably helped me work through the other, and it's a chicken and egg thing which one was first. But um, it was um, it, it was a lot of personal work on both sides. But but I think it, uh, having both sides to work on, I think a momentum kind of got achieved, and I was able to to do a lot of painful hard work, but push through to get to the other side where <laughs> it was a brighter day. I think it's so powerful to be able to talk and be transparent about struggles. We all have them, and oftentimes leaders really hesitate to talk about it for fear of, of many different things. But I really appreciate you being open and honest about that. Are you able to talk about when you first noticed separation anxiety affecting you? Well, yeah. I mean, I can. Rem- I mean, I didn't know it was separation sure. anxiety at the time, but I can remember. You know, having that from the age of three, it certainly made uh, the tumultuous nature of puberty in high school even more so. Um, and I can remember, you know, yeah, and I, I certainly in high school, I can remember episodes of, of depression, though, again, not diagnosed, but I, I look at them now and I'm like, well, yeah, you were depressed about X, Y, or Z. You know, I, I always kind of thought that, that having separation anxiety and being an only child, you were kind of approaching a perfect storm kind of thing. Um, so uh, high school was a very hard time for me. Um, uh, I wasn't particularly popular. And I went to a tiny little school. I think my graduating class was 86 people or something like that. So everybody knows everybody's business. And it was it was just a very hard time. I, I, I got to do a lot of extracurriculars because the school was the size it was. And I got to, you know pursue interests, whether that was theater or I, I played varsity baseball. And then, you know, the eclectic nature of my interests and curiosities um, in a small school, you can pursue them all without having to kind of limit yourself because of the numbers. So um, high school was very, very hard. And um, uh, then I, when I got to college, um, there was there was this sense of acceptance and and certainly college being what it was, not just acceptance, but almost encouragement to begin to discover who you are and what you actually like and what you don't like and all those kind of things. So um, college was uh, an oasis. um, And uh, I I have been blessed with a, a deep and wide curiosity about a lot of things. So to be in college where you're learning about all these different subjects and, and having those wonderful conversations that you have sitting in the student union or wherever, um, that was like I was finally home uh, for, for up to that point in my life. You know, I finally felt like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm home. I'm with my people now. And um, so, you know, I, I went straight from undergrad school into three years of, of grad school at, at uh, Ohio. And that was just more of the same you know, on a deeper level. Cause now it's, you know, the graduate level of really diving into subject matter and, and chewing through it with other students and all that kind of thing. Um, and then I worked a couple of years before, before uh, the, the last two years at, at USC, but college was always a home for me. And um, that, you know, I, it was still several years before I had actually identified and worked through uh, the things we're talking about. But, you know, high school, uh, depressive and moody. And like I said, you know, there's all the normal teenager stuff with, with uh, 
puberty and hormones and all the things that come with that, but it was all amplified by when you when you're challenged to perceive who's actually a, a threat or an enemy and who isn't and uh there's just high school so confusing under the best of circumstances it really made that a difficult uh uh time period and um yes it was good to get on the other side of that so i think I, that's the one that comes to mind the first uh when you when you ask about when i first started i look back now and i can see it was all part of the separation anxiety um, but that was really where the first time, uh, junior high wasn't that bad, but, but high school was really where I can see I didn't have the tools, um, and was not equipped to succeed, um, in a high school environment. Certainly one as, as, uh, tiny a community as that, as my high school was. Was there ever a time that you were suicidal? You know, um, I've I've had therapy at, at, at different time points in my life, and and I rem- I I went through I had a bad breakup uh, when I was uh, late twenties or something, and one where you know I was emotionally all in and everything else, and then the relationship just didn't work out, and it was a very dark year that followed that breakup, and I I, I wasn't working with a therapist at the time, and and he asked the same thing, and I said you know. I, th- I think I called it. Pa- I think I called it passively suicidal. Um, I said. I said I'm not thinking about how to hurt myself. I said, but if I was walking across somebody's dark backyard and fell into the pool and got tangled up in the tarp, I don't know how hard I would fight to get out. Uh, so it it wasn't um, uh, plotting uh, suicide in in more of an active sense. But it was just a dark year where I was just tired and exhausted and didn't have much fight left in me and and was in such pain. You know, it was one of those breakups where the pain manifests itself physically. You actually ache, that kind of thing. And um, you reach a point where you just want that to stop, just like people that have physical illnesses and, and, and are challenged by the pain. Um, so um, th- there was a point at which... I wouldn't necessarily call it suicidal, but I, I, I didn't have much care or love for uh, uh, living life. So um, that was uh, that was dark enough. Absolutely. And that's more common than people recognize. Um, it's you know, part of who we are. And, and you're referring to, like you said, passive, where the thoughts are there, but the intent isn't there. So knowing that you have really struggled like most of us, how did you work through it to where you are today to be strong and resilient? How did you do that? Oh, you know, you, I, I just kept at the bottom of it all, uh, that, that tough year, especially at the bottom of it all that I have a athlete's mentality. I, I played baseball all the way through college and, um, and love sports of all kinds. And, and there's, there's that mentality of, you just you don't walk off the field until the game's over and and that's a metaphor clearly but it applies in so many parts of life um that at least for me it did uh, or does that that have nothing to do with sports so you know um and that that bad breakup was in some ways um it, it broke up a lot of stuff inside of me that needed that needed to be broken up. And, and I, f- I found a therapist that I kind of synced up with and, and was able to get a lot of work done. 
pushed myself through the pain, pushed myself through the year. And it really was like, you know, bad weather that clears and suddenly the sun's out. And, and um, uh, it was just a persistence of do the work. And sometimes the work meant finding a way to get out of bed and go, go to the studio. And sometimes it meant doing work with a the therapist or whatever. But, you know, quitting it was bred into me from early on. Uh, quitting wasn't an option. And, and um, um, there was always, it's just like that, you know, quote I sent you in the, in the bio from, from a poem that's always meant a lot to me. Um, you know, it's, there's always something to find that's either beautiful or life affirming or sustaining or whatever. You have to have your eyes open enough to see them when they come by. But you know, that at that time period when I was working through so many things, I, you know, learned to, when something came by that caught my eye as that's a reason to be here. Um, uh, I would clutch it and savor it and everything. You know, there, there's, there's a, in one of Woody Allen's movies, he's, he lies, he's lying on the couch and he's got a tape recorder going and he lays there and he lists what for his character are five reasons that life's worth living. Um, and, um, uh, it's an, it was a notion similar to that, that, you know, uh, whether it's, some old film that, that still uh, excited me that I could put in the VCR at that time and, and uh, just kind of uh, uh, experience that for a couple hours or whether it was going to, to some location or locale that had meaning to me on a, on a deep level or whatever it was. But I learned in that dark time to uh, cherish those and, and keep them as close at hand as possible. Share with us what a mantra would be for you or something that you live by on a daily basis. That line that you read about the shaman drudgery, that, that's from a, a poem called Desiderata. And there's, a, there's another part of that poem and this, that, that has always gotten me through the, the darkest times. Uh, and there's a, there's a part in there that says um, uh, something like, you're a child of the universe and, and just like the trees and the stars, you have a right to be here. And then, then the part of it that always was, you know, I could break glass in case of an emergency and pull this line was, um, and whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. And that's, that's always been something that kind of um, reminded me or reminds me um, it's a big universe. We're a tiny speck and, um, sometimes things work out and sometimes they don't. Um, but the universe has its own rhythms and agendas and everything else. And, and even if you can't figure out why, and it may be something good that's happened to you that you can't figure out why, but whether it's something good or something bad, um, even if you can't figure out why it has happened, there's a chance it happened because it should happen. Um, and, um, it, that's, that's always been a comfort to me. And I've, I discovered that poem. I was in my teens, I think. Um, so that's always been a comfort to me. And, and I never travel, um, without the, a published copy of that poem in my suitcase somewhere. So I, I, I've, it has been a security blanket of one fashion or another to me for some time. And it, it's, it's a talisman and a, 
mantra and all kinds of things that um, it's not a particularly you know long poem, but uh, I can always go to the verbiage in that in that uh, piece of work and find something that that helps untangle or unscramble the day. And I, again, sometimes it may be something really great has happened and you're, you're thinking, well, why me? Why was I so blessed to have X, Y, or Z? Um, and so the, the, that, that poem has always served to kind of uh, keep me rooted um, in good times and bad. So that, that's, that, that would be the closest thing I could say to, 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 to call a mantra. I love it. I love it. So talk to us about your, your novel and the work you're doing today. Ah, yeah. I, um, one of my graduate degrees at, at Ohio was in writing, playwriting specifically. And, and I, I've had a few plays produced and, um, and then I've had some screenplays option, but at one point I had an idea for a story and it occurred to me it really worked best as a book. And I'd never really had any particular aspirations for writing a book. But the, the story wouldn't leave me alone, and it only made sense, or it made the most sense, I should say, as a as a book. So I wrote a book, and it was, you know, the planets aligned a little bit with regard to, I, I went to a writer's conference in, in Hawaii and was standing in line waiting for, uh, to, to hear a speaker and struck up a conversation with the, the woman in, in front of me, and she was a, a publisher that was there looking to acquire a product. And so she asked if, if I had a sample chapter and I gave her the first chapter of the book and, and she read it on the plane home and she called me from the airport when she landed and said she wanted to do the book. So it was, it was, you know, not many authors are, are that fortunate to trip over a publisher like that. So that was great. And it was a, it was a novel, um, uh, international thriller kind of thing with a female protagonist. And, um, and it, you know, for a first book, it did it did perfectly fine. It, it you know, we didn't break any records, but um, you know, the people who did read it, uh, they were wonderfully gracious in in their responses that they would forward to me, and I was very touched by by seeing the impact um, that that it had for some of the readers, and um, it was it was to be the first book in a series, and we had interest in the first one as a film. Um, and, uh, we were holding the second book to release when the film of the first book came out. Um, and, but then the schedules with actors and directors, we could never get all the planets aligned to make the film work. And I had other creative projects. And so it all kind of got backburnered. And right now, um, I'm updating the, um, the original novel cause it's been many years ago. And there's, there's a lot of technology in the, in the novel that, just looks kind of cute and antiquated at this point. Uh, you, you know, it was written in a time where phones didn't have cameras and uh, internet was not as uh, omnipresent as it is now. So I'm updating it and, and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to have it re-released uh, first of next year. Um, and um, what is the title of the novel? You want to share that with us and where they can. Yeah. It's called Tatiana and that's the name of the lead character. The uh, I haven't put up a website for it yet because it's uh, I'm still polishing that that uh, revision. But what 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 I'm going to do is, and I'll get you the information um, um, so we can get it out to folks. Um, it's going to be free, um, and uh, because you know it's already had its run, and I just want to get it back out. And the hope is that 
the, the second book is called Laria, and um, uh, you know the intent is um, that that for people that enjoy Tatiana, that then they're interested in in seeing what happens to that character over the arc of of the books that I've planned. So um, uh, I'm going to make it available for for free and and uh, sort of a taste test to. Uh, to see if people are, are interested in, in the series. So um, that's one of the things that uh, on the writing front I'm, I'm working on, and that's coming up, um, like I said, right uh, first part of next year. Um, and I, um, I'm i working on a couple of uh, books of uh, street photography um, shot in different uh, cities around the world. Uh, so um, uh, getting that together and, and doing that uh, – there's some different things about the way I'm, I'm, I'm doing those books compared to um, the way a lot of photo books um, have historically been done. And, you know, maybe what we're going to try will work and maybe it won't, but um, sort of a fresh take on um, photo books and street photography and that kind of thing. Um, so uh, working on those. And then there's a, um, a web series that, that uh, I've uh, written that, that is, we're attempting to get the, a cast together and get it off the ground. Um, also that'll be into the year. I live in, in Nevada and, uh, we hope to shoot in the winter when the heat is a little more, uh, accommodating. Uh, so, you know, I, it took me a long time. And, um, as I think part of that experience with writing a novel after having not really had the aspiration to, it took me a long time to realize, uh, what, what the nature of my creativity is and it it is really and I this word gets uh, mud slung at it a lot and I I'm not really sure why but really it, it it is about just telling stories and the medium whether that's you know film or television or books or plays or whatever else has always been secondary um, and and uh, uh, when my when Tatiana came out um, my college roommate um, he and I were still friends and. He said, you know, I, th I think you write better books because of what you know about movies. And it had never occurred to me. And then he said that and I knew what he was talking about when he said it. Um, so, and it's not, you know, my, my fidelity, my loyalty is not to a specific medium. It is, you know, a, a notion for a story or a character comes along and, and usually the story or the character lets me know if they work best as a play or a film or a book or whatever else. So, um, what has always been important, even when I didn't realize it yet, um, has been just connecting other people with elements of this life we all live, elements of humanity, elements of the human existence through story and character and, and all those things that have been going on since we first developed language thousands of years ago. Uh, and, and to, you know, I think stories kind of have the ability to help provide po at least possible answers to the things we don't understand about, you know, why we're here or how we got here, or where we're going or and those kind of esoteric questions. Um, and stories help us figure out life a little bit. And um, uh, that's, what's always been important to me, even when I didn't know it or didn't know how to articulate it or whatever else. So I always have several creative projects of varying uh, media um, and uh, really wouldn't want it any other way because uh, the variety of it ends up being a, a source of uh, stimulus and energy for me. 
Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. So can you share your contact information or how someone could get a hold of you if they wanted to learn more about you? Uh, sure. Um, I can give uh, an email address. Um, uh, it's just Greg, G-R-E-G, at, uh, and my, the company that, I, that is my company under which I do all my creative work is Oasis, O-A-S-I-S, Entertainment Group. Dot com um, and uh, uh, happy to, as I think I mentioned in other contexts, you know, always happy to meet new people and find out what other people are uh, interested in and, and the questions that, that they have about uh, the, their own paths and, and all of those kinds of things that, that connect us all, even when we don't uh, realize it or aren't aware of it. So I, I, I'm always happy to, um, to uh, hear from folks that, that, uh, uh, to find common ground because we, we all have common ground with each other, even if it's hard to see. Absolutely. Well, Greg, thank you so much for being a part of the Revolutionary Leader Conversations of Influence and Change. It is clear that through your life, you have truly influenced so many in a positive way and you are giving back each day. And I appreciate your vulnerability to share your journey with us. Um, most often people see just the success and feel that they can't achieve. However, when leaders are willing to be vulnerable, transparent, and share the struggles in the journey, then people have renewed hope in what they can also do in life and what they can achieve. So Greg, you truly are a knight and I appreciate who you are and what you're doing in our world. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Christy. It was a wonderful uh, uh conversation and, and it was a thrill to spend some time with you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Knights of the Revolutionary Leader, Conversations of Influence and Change. Each show we bring you a guest of revolutionary influence by living a life of nobility, courage, and authenticity. To meet other knights of the round table or to be a guest on this show, go to ChristyKnights.com. Join us next week as we cross the bridge to meet the next night to join the round table of revolutionary leaders of influence and change. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.